Hey there, welcome to episode 15 of uh, the Cafe Genius Impresarios podcast. Today, let's get it started with Hayden Smith Esquire, your favorite startup attorney here in Nevada, here in Southern Nevada. And uh, let's get it started. Hayden, welcome. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Good to be on. Uh, so as I, as you may have gathered, uh, listener, that we're going to talk about getting it started. What is it? It, it is, of course, small business. So we're talking about economy and our economic, I mean, I'm sorry, our entrepreneurial ecosystem. Being an entrepreneur in Southern Nevada is a combination of easy and hard. Which part? Well, first, before we get into that, who is this Hayden Smith character anyway? <laughs> yeah. So um, I myself am a transplant from um, Salt Lake City, Utah. And I've been here for about four years. Um, I work at Marky Arbok, which is a local large uh, law firm in town. It's, we just had our 50th anniversary last year. So we're a full service law firm. Um, I focus on business transactions and corporate work as well as real estate transactions. So uh, yeah, kind of do all things corporate here and um i've really enjoyed vegas i just kind of learning about the startup scene here in town um it seems you know i come from salt lake which has a pretty robust startup scene they call the silicon slopes and um i kind of wonder well you know what what do we have going on here in vegas so it's been good to learn about the resources and also informational to learn about the lack thereof (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. The uh, the Silicon Slopes thing, I've just sort of I've checked it out now and then. <clears throat> I'm on their mailing list. And there is this, uh, I, I myself did my time in Silicon Valley from 1993 to 2001, and then 2005 to 2013. That break in the middle was probably a bad decision Other time. So <laughs> the, um, the interesting thing, Silicon Valley was, of course, Silicon Valley. So then there was Silicon Gulch and Silicon... Uh, alley in New York and Silicon this and Silicon that and Slopes. Las Vegas will be the next Silicon Valley. And I'm like, um, there's a reason it's Silicon Valley. It started with Chip. It was basically Shockley and and Fairchild and eventually Intel. And and it was thanks to Stanford and the professor whose name escapes me at this moment doing radar research and development during World War II and then being a, you know, so there's a lot of history there. So the Silicon name, it's my little thing. So I'm sorry to get off on that little rant, but yeah, we should be more creative than that. Anyway, uh, what, so where did you go to law school, if I'm just curious? Yeah, I went to Brigham Young University in Provo, huh. Utah. Cool. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And uh, they're actually one of the top programs in corporate and transactional huh. law. They've got a lot more. Um, they're, they're a more creative, I think, approach in that they look at law degree as a leadership degree and critical thinking degree and kind of call it what it is instead of just because you know, I always say is you have to take the LSAT to go to law school and it has no real correlation. And then you go to law school and it has no correlation to the bar. And then you take past the bar and it has no correlation to practicing law, especially on the corporate I, side. <laughs> yeah, I I have had this discussion with new attorneys. I won't call anybody out, but I just was talking about one before we started recording. Literally, this is not a dig, it's, but it's the, the disconnect. Um, I said NDA one time, and I'm like, what's that? Like, you're an attorney. You should know what that is. But from a practice, you just, it's kind of a learn as you go because they don't, because te- there's a lot of stuff to learn. So I guess if you dig right. into, you know, if you get to the point where you're doing NDAs, you're going to know what that is. Non-disclosure agreement, by the way, in case anybody. So 
yeah, so it's that is interesting. And to you know, to be honest, it's the same with engineering. Uh, in some cases, especially the internet and computing, because by the time you get a degree in anything having to do with the internet, the internet is way far ahead of you. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's you know, it's, it's the nature of the beast. Um, yeah, and have yeah. you? Go ahead. Oh, I was just say yeah, and I mean the law is just so broad that sure. I mean, you really can't teach. You know, and laws obviously change. Um, so you you learn how to get really good at finding information efficiently and conveying that in a clear way and communicating that so that clients can understand and um, discovering kind of what you like and what areas of practice. So I did two years of litigation uh, before I really did a foray into corporate counsel work and startup work. And I just really, as I say, I like helping clients avoid litigation um, rather in and help them foresee potential pitfalls before they get into it because it's 10 times more expensive to pay a lawyer to get you out of the hole once you're already in there than it is to just avoid oh. it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, uh, some things we'll talk about, uh, soon. The, the basic question is, did you know ahead of time or did you, you know, do you have your, as you said, uh, previously you know, your eyes dotted your T's crossed and, or do you, you know, do you have the right forms? Do you have the right structure? In fact, we'll, we'll get into all that, but yeah, there, there's a lot of things, uh, challenges, but ultimately being an entrepreneur, have you ever been entrepreneurial? Have you ever been like you had your own business of any kind? Um, the closest thing is I got a real estate, my real estate license here actually after I passed the bar because kind of, um, is streamlined for attorneys, um, and that was nice to just, I mostly just refer to agents to my brokerage that um, do the, the dirty work. And I, that way I can split the, the commission. Um, that's the one thing. There's lots of rules, lots of, <laughs> everyone's very protectionistic. But as a lawyer and a real estate agent, I can do both and it's kosher. Um, it's, uh, so I've done that a little bit, but no, I mean, I've, I have ideas, but I really admire entrepreneurs and just putting yourself out there. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's almost made me, I think I'm just, I'm more risk averse than ever now as a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you have to have a certain element of brashness, I think, to, to go put yourself out there. And it's almost been ruined for me. <laughs> we call it ignorance. It's a it's well, a protector you know, a, a protective layer of bliss surrounding our aspirations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, and, but, well that, but yeah, no, not not a whole lot. I, I I worked for a financial technology startup in Salt Lake and saw the growth, saw the excitement, and then it was bought by a Silicon Valley um, peer to peer lender, and so I got to participate in some of the team wide meetings, and it was really exciting. And then I went to law school right as they were gutting the entire um that division and laying off 100 people so it was a good time for me and i saw the the highs and the lows of of a uh technology company sure yeah i've been there been there done that i've been laid off and i've been uh watched the 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 whole place start crumbling and you get out just in time so yeah that that was silicon valley and that's it's sort of funny when you hear people talk, the the aspiration is sometimes, especially if you're doing a take, oh, like Silicon Valley, or it wasn't all 
Wonderful. You know, maybe in the early days. When I moved there in 1993, it was, there was the energy and buzz, and lots of jobs. People were hiring like crazy and people were just out of college and you're getting these great salaries. And every time you change jobs, you made more money. So I changed jobs every six to nine months. <laughs> and oh, it wasn't wow, just yeah. for the but it wasn't just for the money. It was like, oh, this isn't working. This company is kind of kind of flailing around or it doesn't have a long road ahead of it or it's out of money. Those things were maybe because entrepreneurialism is harder than all. So being an employee, it was interesting. And then I tried my hand at some some small startup. It's uh, it's something people should try if they have any any itch. We, we say that inspiration, I'm sorry, aspirational, uh, nascent or existing entrepreneurs, if you're one of those, hopefully you're doing it, right? Or you're trying to. So yeah, the I can't even imagine. I, I never joined a company and then had it collapse immediately, but I've heard horror stories. I got a job offer and they were shut down before I even got there. To... So <laughs> yeah. those are chaotic times. But but I don't know why people want to be like Silicon Valley. They should try to be a better version of wherever they are. Yeah, Silicon Valley is not that great. You be awesome Silicon <clears throat> Silicon Slopes, Utah, or whatever we're going to call Vegas. Yeah, Silicon right. Oasis you got to come up something with something like. flashy and, and Vegas-like. Well, Vegas is already flashy. We don't need just be ve- be a better Vegas. How about that? Great. Yeah, hey, I've, that's good. I've been using this term, and I don't know if it's. I I doubt I started it, but I just say uh, the Greater Vegas Entrepreneurial Ecosystem. You know, because Vegas, if you look on the map, Vegas has, and this becomes important when you're doing things like business licensing or other right. forms and certifications. So the the administrative boundaries of Las Vegas are what they are, but no one on the planet knows what those are except for a few people. And so when you're in <laughs> Vegas, you could be in Henderson, you could be uh, in any part of unincorporated Clark County, you're still in Vegas. Right? The fabulous Las Vegas sign right. is not in Las Vegas. Right. So. It's not in the city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. But, it, but it's, I mean, we could just be a better Vegas. I think that'd be fine. But so say you want to start a company that let's get to the meat here. We're get, let's get it started as uh, as MC Hammer might say. Um, I don't know if you're anybody a Hammer fan out there. No. Okay. I met him. He's a cool guy. So first, what, where would I begin? I'm, hey, Hayden, I'm, I want to start a company. What should I do first? Yeah, it's, and that's really the, you know, going into it without thinking about answering a few questions is dangerous. And, and those yes. are, you know, who do I want involved? Who, you know, especially if it's a partnership, um, what do I want that to look like? Having a business plan, um, and that doesn't need to be something formal or you not know, have to go to business school to do that, but the basics of you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, and you know, if you're a single member, uh, company, it's just you doing your thing, you know, it's perhaps a little easier, but I would say it's really, if you have any sort of partners or people that you're looking to collaborate with and have some sort of joint venture, you really need to think about how you're structuring the entity. And so um, there's, you know, the default is if two people get together and this is, you know, we, this is literally in our business textbook, our business law textbooks is you have now formed a partnership, even if you don't, you know, it's not something you have to file. It's not something that you have to, you know, fill out formation paperwork for. It's just the act of saying, Hey, Bob, do you want to sell lemonade? You've now created a partnership. And that has, in the law, that has a lot of um, implications. Um, you are now liable for anything and everything your partner does in the name of your partnership. 
Um, so if it's Bob and Ted's lemonade stand, um, you and your partners making representations, you could potentially be on the hook for that. So that's kind of like the think about the origins of entity, you know, business entity law. It starts with the partnership, and um, you need to have you need to consider carefully what you're doing right off the bat, or you can get down the road. And, and I always say, tell clients, people generally end up in disputes and sue each other when you're either one, losing a bunch of money or two, making a bunch of money. When everything's just kind of flat, usually you don't have issues and you don't think about things, but you need to get ahead of that because at some point, any business owner is going to lose or make money. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, according to the plan or the disbursement right, right. of uh, like, hey, you're making more money than me. That's how's that happening? <laughs> yeah. So I would say, happen. you know, that the easiest way to divide the most flexible entity is to set up a limited liability company. And that's generally what I recommend for everyone. And, you, you know, as we're talking here, there's there's like the actual formation and legal entity side of the law and then there's the tax side right? i'm not a tax attorney i have a classmate that i refer people to as a tax attorney uh so when i'm saying something that should be construed as you know from a tax perspective because you can be a limited liability company but you can be taxed as an s corp and so having a good cpa or tax attorney advise you on that piece it's really a whole different story it could be a whole different podcast that i'm not really qualified to speak on <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll we'll get there uh, eventually. Not here, but I mean, we'll get there eventually. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So if so, these are th- this is a great point because occasionally I, I and some other people I've had these discussions with about what we're doing, which I'll get to also in a moment. There are people who are aspirational, like, "Hey, I want to start a business. I want to start that lemonade stand. Do what do I even have to do?" And they don't know things like LLC or. Um, you know, what is an S corp? What's a C corp? What can we do? Should we do an LLP? What is that? I've heard about that. My attorney has one of those, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So the question is, do people read or do they just kind of dive in? And I've seen this happen in the downtown project days. There was a lot of, a lot of aspiration got converted into action because a lot of entrepreneurial people came to Vegas and doing this, this downtown project thing. It was very exciting, except that they didn't really know what they were getting into from what I saw firsthand. Not speaking about everybody. But every once in a while, there'd be somebody that didn't know exactly what to do next. And it was sort of a, you don't know how to swim already? Uh-oh, that's not going to be fun for you. So there's there's a whole silver flume portal with the Secretary of State. You can file various pieces of paperwork if it doesn't crash or have a 404 error or various <laughs> other problems. Uh, yeah. Some things work, some things don't. Don't ever call them for help. That's a nightmare. <laughs> the voice of experience but essentially can, that's uh, second all of that yes yeah and so i don't know how much money they spent but i think it's a record amount for the state on a product that has never provided what it even close to what was promised yeah i i was uh we we formed a nonprofit corporation in nevada uh and we are going to file our 501c3 paperwork a 1023ez which has its own implications the the process of doing the uh, for just signing up as a the registered agent to do the incorporating and all that failed, and I contacted support and they didn't get back to me ever <laughs> via email. 
So I called them. Uh, I called them at nine o'clock in the morning. So I was like the third in the queue or something. So I got right through. I said, hey, he's like, oh, what's your email address? Okay. And she goes, okay, I, I approved it. You're, you're, I said, I never got the confirmation. Anyway, so sometimes things work, but the system itself does not. Yeah, it's very right. frustrating. But that is a necessary, very, as you, the things you said are absolutely correct. You have to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Those are good things and who you're doing it with. It's like dating, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It, you know, it's, we call them... Um, business divorce cases uh, because it's often so emotional and and people some people don't realize people are never more emotional than when it relates to money so it it really is it's it, you, you have you can think of your so if you have a limited liability company or llc you need to have an operating agreement uh, a lot of people don't do that when they're first starting out, but it's like a prenuptial agreement. It lays out exactly what happens, the what the rules of engagement are, and what happens if you decide to close up shop or one person wants to get out, um, how you're gonna handle all that. So it's like your roadmap. And the nice thing as compared to a relationship is you actually get to reset, you know, what you, you can't control what people do, but you can control how you are able to respond and what your recourse is going forward. So it's the operating agreement can be as simple or as complex as, as you want it to. Um, and it's, but it's just important to at least have something written down that both partners or, or all partners are in agreement on and signed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the, <clears throat> I always say um, it's nice when it's written down ahead of time, cause then you don't have to argue about it. It's already, you just say, remember this, um, I did that with a person that lived across the street from me one time. They were playing music at midnight and their speakers were pointed directly at my, you know, so I just went across, I printed out the, the city statute on noise. You know, I said, here, he's like, what are you going to file? I said, I don't have to do anything. It's already done for us. We don't even have to discuss it. Here it is. It says 10 PM. That's it. I'm just going to show it to you. And then we don't have to talk anymore if you don't want to. So yeah, when things are spelled out, there's uh, you don't even have to waste time thinking about it. You can just get on with the startup and not the uh, doing what? What happens if this is this my you know who and actually there's one yeah. thing um, the the question of sometimes there'll be an intellectual property component right and so when you enter that partnership uh, the 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 verbal agreement which from what I have understood from my attorney friends and relatives is worth the paper it's printed on but still it's there right and uh, so. I have an actual an example. I have I have the the lemonade recipe, and we're starting our lemonade stand. Do I own the recipe, or is it now property of our company or our partnership or whatever? And what happens if we part ways? Do I retain ownership? So, so these are the questions that I think nobody ever thinks about until it becomes a, mm -hmm. hey, that's my idea, that's my recipe, that's my concept. That's so how I don't know if you can answer that for a general case like this, but that is that a point of contention that people should absolutely consider first, or is it just it just yeah, becomes part of the yeah, company absolutely. assets? But is it a company asset at that no, point? No, no. I, it... I mean, it it really is. That's the beauty of of contract law. You know, contracts are as old as as uh, you know men are <laughs> earth basically, yeah. and it's um, don't eat this. Don't eat this apple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, oral contracts are just never a good way to run a business. I mean, I have client that I'm still trying to drill this into. They they're fifty million dollar a year in revenue, and they're still doing handshake deals. It's it's amazing how people you know because it it works until it doesn't, 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, normally if I'm advising somebody, I would draft a intellectual property licensing agreement, and that would be very, that would be much more formal and complex and state, okay, I'm bringing this and part of my, my, what I'm contributing to the company, or you call a capital contribution when you're first starting out, um, is this piece of intellectual property. But I'm retaining, I'm giving you a non-exclusive right to use it in this limited capacity or in any capacity. And instead of me contributing money, I'm going to license it and not charge royalty fees or other fees. And if that's spelled out, it's really clear. Um, and if that person leaves, you know, be right in that agreement. All right, when I leave or I'm bought out, this, you know, I <clears throat> usually you'll let them continue to use it in that limited purpose, but they can't license it to other people. Uh, they right. can't, you know, it, it's still you that owns it. It's just, it's really like a software license. You just get to use it for the purposes that it was intended for. Yeah. And this comes up with uh, open source projects. For example, someone asked me for our, my other thing I'm doing, the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, which is also a 501c3. Um, so I've, I've known the joys of silver flume a couple times. It's painful, <clears throat> but, but yeah, the, the question sometimes is like, so if I, if I put code into this project, do, do I sign away my rights to it? Like, no, it still came from your head. You, it's yours. You're just letting us, you know, like you're giving a copy to, uh, the project, but you still have it. It's still yours. You can do it. You know, it's a non-exclusive. You can do whatever you want with it at the same time. It's all open source stuff. You can do your own closed source. So I think there is always that, that like, what am I getting myself into or what am I giving up or whatever? So I think the more clear that is, the better in general, whether it's a coffee right. recipe or a lemonade or a software or you know, anything. So yeah, clarity, right. as, as is the case, clarity is key, always the case. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, when you can put it in writing and have everybody sign off on it before you get going down, down the track, it's always better because again, if there's an opportunity to make money, they could be your best friend one day and next day somebody, you know, I, I look at it as a lawyer. I literally look at the worst case scenario and my clients, I represent that client. I don't, you know, unless there's a conflict waiver, I can't represent <clears throat> multiple parties. And so if someone comes to me, even I have to get in writing, Hey, okay. The two of you want to do this business. You want to share the cost. You don't want to hire another lawyer. Well, you've got to put in writing that, there you're waiving potential conflicts and here's a list of potential conflicts that can arise and we make sure everybody's on the same page and we have to get those type of things in writing um from an ethical standpoint but just from a business standpoint to your point about the story with your neighbor it's just it's so much easier to have it documented there and then nobody's the bad guy or or trying to take advantage of the other person it's just look at this this is what was agreed to. We were on the same page. Nothing's changed, and we can move on. Focus on making money in Al our business. Although, in the case of that neighbor, he still got mad at me, <laughs> and it, well, it, it's true. one of those things. You gotta, you, you <laughs> end up buying somebody. Uh, well, yeah, and well, I was spoiling his uh, evening with his friend. You know, it was midnightish, but uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes. But you know, you gotta, you gotta uh, regress to the the regret the the pre agreed upon terms because that's why you did that right so yeah right. and and i think it's something just just like the prenups or just like any any relationship of any kind business personal or otherwise yeah you uh, 
you agreed to this and now it's different. So we have to figure out how to get back to what we agreed to. Or, and that's something I think people find out the hard way. Everyone has a story or two or five. Sometimes they're very expensive. So you would suggest perhaps well, that it's yeah. worth thinking about ahead of time <laughs> and getting it yeah, in writing, absolutely. which you've said several times. Well, the other thing is any form operating agreement worth its salt will also have an attorney's fee provision in it, which is really important. Because um, in the event, I mean, unfortunately, and I've even as a jaded litigator, um, I, I just, you know, I, I see people spending so much money trying to fight out these issues. But the beauty of having it in writing with an attorney's fee provision means that it's going to be all, you know, you can't necessarily stop somebody from suing. But if they're suing in bad faith or they're suing and you have a clearly written contract, uh, you're going to one, be able to cut costs by the litigation, truncating the litigation, and two, recovering costs from them. Um, if you don't have it in writing, there's no, you know, this is a big difference between the United States and other, especially Europe. You don't get to recover your attorney's fees from the other side just because they made you come into litigation, unless you have a contractual provision stating. So that, I mean, hmm. if nothing else, that provides you, uh, I mean, that's worth its money. Yeah. I, um, these are, I, I'm going to guess that anyone who you have talked to who is doing a first time out, Hey, I'm starting a business with my friend, roommate, wife, husband, cousin, cellmate from, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> all of these things are shockers. And then of course there's, Oh, we've known each other for, um, but then the second time they'll be like, I would like everything in writing, please. Uh, so it's a lot. <laughs> yes. Or whenever, whatever they've just learned this lesson, because everybody does, like I said, I think it's like having insurance. It's like having insurance. Um, that was my motorcycles. Sorry. Uh, if you heard that, uh, <laughs> I live near a street. So, uh, it's like having insurance, right? You don't know, you don't need insurance until you need it. Um, so yeah, a lot of these things are, we should do it even though it's a slog because later when your house is on fire, like, oh man, I glad I got that insurance. I'm glad I had that in writing, all that stuff. So yeah, these are, these are uncommon sense items that the voice of experience will be yelling the entire time. You should be getting an attorney's fees accounted for separable, make it separable, um, et cetera. I'm not an attorney. I don't know what I'm talking about, but what I, I, I have a, there's a thing called the public benefit corporation. Do you know anything about those? I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, they're not super common. I, right. so I haven't personally worked with them, but you have those B corporations that are they, and they've really only been around for a few years. They kind of, uh, I think they're kind of controversial in the business world because you have like the the fundamental like Chicago School of Economics mentality is that like the only thing driving a, a public corporation should be maximizing shareholder value. And Your these fiduciary kind of, responsibilities. Yeah. 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 And uh, if you're taking a stand one way or the other, like on a political topic or moral topic that you're actually jeopard potentially jeopardizing that. And so it's kind of an interesting um, nuanced corporation where its sole purpose really is to have a, it, it's mission driven and that can sometimes be at odds with the bottom line. It's kind of a fundamental. Sure. Sure. I, and I only ask because there I've known of a couple it's a very, you know, banishingly small number of people who have formed public benefit corps and don't know the people, the general 
the population thinks about these things about like, you know, why, why does YouTube's uh, cut down, you know, take on videos? Well, because they're responsible to their shareholders and maximizing shareholder value means maximizing advertiser revenue means ma all of these things factor right. into each other. Um, I've formed a nonprofit uh, twice now um, here in Nevada, and that's a different thing entirely but for the most part. Um, <clears throat> people often confuse nonprofit and charity. You can be a nonprofit and be a lot of other things. Section A has a lot of, uh, what is that, like 15 or 16 different C things, C3, C4, C5, yeah. C6. So yeah, it, it can actually get complicated when you decide to, any. I mean, an LLC is kind of, I will say, easy with a big asterisk by it. But yeah, as you as you get more interesting, say a lot of reading of talking to Hayden, it can yeah. be they can be a, a good time. A lot of a weekend spent reading and <laughs> yeah, and even I mean, if it's something very specific, like I said, one of the worst things a lawyer can do is pretend like they know everything. I mean, that's one of the reasons I like my firm is I don't have to. Um, I got a guy that all he does all day is employment litigation. Uh, I've got a guy that does a bunch of I've got people in my office that do the licensing stuff and, um, <clears throat> and whether that's, you know, a liquor license, gaming license, cannabis compliance. Um, so it's, it's important to know where you can even professionals to know what your limitations are. And like I said, I don't do tax, so I have connections. I mean, that's one of the biggest things is I can be a resource to, if I don't do it. I know somebody that does do it and, um, right. for like nonprofit, I know an accountant who primarily works with nonprofit entities. And so she's going to know a lot more than meet, uh, cause really with nonprofits, the taxation is the biggest, um, most important, making sure you're in compliance with the IRS is the biggest concern. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I mean, would say it kind of depends. You don't know what you don't know and asking the questions will help. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the, the that's the key. Is that I'm pretty sure most people think they know that a nonprofit just doesn't make money, haha. But until you look at you know what that really means, what does inurement mean? Well, it's an old word. Look it up. But uh, <laughs> how you how you benefit externally? Uh, we're 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 building the uh, startup resource center. That will probably be a podcast or two when we actually are up and running. But it, you know, a nonprofit 501c6 in this case. So it'll be kind of a chamber of commerce, more of a business where common interest is entrepreneurial, you know, startup mode. But, you know, what happens if we work with somebody that's uh, like a director or an advisor or something, and then they form a thing, and then they've had uh, a conflict of interest, access to information that, well, you know, they're, they're, so there's all kinds of things you have to wonder how they're inuring themselves. If You know, th these are things that I wouldn't have thought about two months ago in this case, but the more you read and the more you uh, talk to people with good advice, it's food for thought. And one should always be eating that food for thought because you don't want to yeah. be caught later. As and, you said, I mean, the, the IRS will come and knock on your door at some point and take away your nonprofit yeah. status right. or your C6 <laughs> or whatever status. Nonprofit is a state designation, yeah. by the way. IRS designates you as a 501c. That is, that is something that people don't get either. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's in the tax world and the legal world. And really, you know, there are terms of art, we call them. And even if you think you know the meaning of a word, I mean, cases have gone on for years coming down to a few words on a contract. I mean, that's just the reality. You just don't know. I think if there's one message I can convey today is just becoming educated, 
having a plan and putting that in writing are the most important um, elements. And, and not with ChatGPT. No ChatGPT. <laughs> don't even think about it. I, well, I was going to say there there was a, I don't remember at all the case, but there was a case, I think fairly recently, not not last year or anything, but it was an Oxford comma issue, right? Something about- Yeah, I think that's right. Things. And uh, it does come down to, that's that old, old school grammar that you, uh, diagramming your sentences comes in handy uh, when it comes down to who's going to win this case. Yeah, I mean, it's- <clears throat> it's the stuff people don't think about until they think about it. And uh, I was saying before we started recording, there's uh, the advice you get from some people will be, uh, well, this worked for me so far because they maybe didn't encounter the Oxford comma issue, but somebody who knows, so somebody who's familiar with how contracts are written and how the grammar rule, you know, shall, will, what's the difference, et cetera. So if you know causally versus, oh, I've never run into a problem with shall versus will or then, but you will run into that a problem eventually. Somebody will. So if you just go by correlation, per, personal, not untrained experience is useful to a point. But I, I, our adventures in starting this resource center have included contacting the resources that are available now. And some of them are a little sketchy as far as concrete information versus <laughs> opinion. Well, opinion is, it's important to differentiate opinion versus actual fact. If I said, hey, Hayden, should I form a C Corp or an S Corp? You said, eh. In my opinion, it should be, well, your opinion is you're an attorney, unless you're telling me it's not legal advice, right? But if I ask somebody on the street and they go, eh, S, sounds good, that's their opinion. Those are two very different opinions, though. And I think people right. are too easily swayed by what their friends tell them. Like, oh, I've I formed an S-corp. Yeah, me too. Right? So you think, oh, then I'll form one too. And it's, oh, you should have done a C-corp. So these are, I'm being sort of facetious here, but the, the point is that people sometimes take advice from the, the availability heuristic. They don't do the reading. They don't ask people like you. And then even more, uh, so the state is enough of a pain. You, you mentioned some licensing stuff that you probably have one there at your firm who specializes in that, but there's local, the local concerns, especially because uh, mm -hmm. city of Las Vegas and unincorporated Clark County and Henderson are different places, different regulations and permit requirements, licensing. Does right. anybody even know how to keep that straight? <laughs> yes. Her name is Dawn and she works in my office. <laughs> Wonderful. She's, awesome. <laughs> She's she will have her on next uh, week. Yeah, no, she is she, um no, we have a wonderful uh bunch of paralegals um that also, you know, like the Secretary of State, for example, she really is great um in knowing all the different rules and um what's changing and everything and dealing with them. But yeah, that's the important thing to understand just because, you know, it, you have to look at each license, quote unquote, because the, the state business license, well, what does it allow you to do? <laughs> it allows you to pay your your annual fees to the, the state. That's right. The Secretary Filing. Up, update it's really list. a money grab and they put your, Absolutely. Their, your name. And so it's, it's a money grab from each of those local and state entities. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it actually is. Uh, and the silver flume is often inaccurate in their reporting. So I think both of the things that I have, oh, yeah, two of the three things that I have in silver flume are not quite accurate, which is disappointing, but I will never try to fix them because that's their problem. I, I have the I have the submitted documents if anybody has any questions. But yeah, that, it's interesting. And the city, same with the city. And it's really literally, as you say, it's an administrative fee so that they can keep track so that they know exactly where you are. They really are just collecting. And and uh, fun fact, if you're an open data fan, the city of Las Vegas maintains a open data data set for business and generally in well beyond the administrative boundaries of the city. I want to say, because I just looked at this, because that's how I roll, I want to say there are 116,000 
plus, you know, a couple hundred um, business licenses as of October. So wow. it's not totally current, but that's a lot of business licenses. Are they all active? Who knows? The staffing yeah, of, the, of the, of the <laughs> well, the, the, the staff, I've, I've interviewed all of the staff, both of them from the GIS group, which is a geographical information services mm -hmm. group at, for the city. They get that information from the licensing entity county in different cities. So it says it's as up to date as the data they can get and all that. So with all those disclaimers, that's still a lot of business lessons. So you're really paying money. Have someone say, yep, we got a record of you, right? That's real. Yeah. I mean, there is a certain level of enforcement. Some industries are going to be more heavily scrutinized or uh, if you're doing a lot of business and, you know, it's compared to the, maybe the mom and pop shop doing it out of the garage. But um, yeah, in theory, it keeps things organized and provides a way to enforce um, code, the code, you know, that's yeah, important. I mean, it's like having your address on your driver's license. That one of the main right. reasons is so that we can come and find you. We have to know where you live and yeah. you have to get your voter stuff. Right. So they justify. And so, yeah, it's something similar, but, <clears throat> but it is important. And, um, and there, <laughs> I, I was not there for this, but I, I am told that at a recent small business uh, event with various booths of, uh, informational advice and what someone was heard to say, do I need to form an LLC or get a business license? And like, <laughs> did you say, or did you say, or in there somewhere? Uh, yeah, so right. there, there's just a general, and it's not, I mean, it's, it's literally ignorance and uninsulting the term. It's, you just have to sure. do a lot of, and there's just a lot of stuff and it's written in jargon that people like Hayden like to write in <laughs> attorney speak yeah. or legal ease as they say. And not all of it is, although, I mean, I've, I've certainly read chapter 82 a couple of times because that's also how I roll. But, uh, when we were, when it, we were the problem, yeah, uh, the problem is lawyers try to put, you know, they put initial drafts out there and then it's. The legislature goes and it's combed over and changed by a lot of non-lawyers and even lawyers, you know, disagreeing and compromising will create confusing language and, and contracts sometimes. But oh, it's even worse and... if you have lay people, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's all compromised language. And so it, it really is probably the most difficult and sometimes unintelligible um, pieces of the law that we have are what's in the statute and so much of the cases are about trying to interpret and figure out what that actually means and uh well and it, but to add to it and i so when i was in the bay area i was the director of a owner's association for food trucks and by the way they oh, yeah. for some reason they didn't get the stadium worked out here but they did make mobile vending on the streets a little bit more legal here in nevada so that's good all those strange strange yeah. priorities but that's good but in the Bay Area, that um, I had to, I lobbied two different cities, city council. I went to city council meetings a lot and changed some rules on zoning. And so, yay, congratulations! But yeah. I found when I was speaking, I lived in Sunnyvale, so I was I was talking to the person in Sunnyvale. She was luckily a food truck fan, also. She said, "You know, the problem: a lot of food truck owners don't read the whole revision, the statute revision chain, because." If you just read the original thing and you don't read the changes that have gone on over the years, then you're not current. So you're reading the wrong version. You see that a lot. Like, do people mm -hmm, jump right. to, uh, so the NRS, the Nevada Revised Statute System, you'll see this like, oh, this changes that. And you have to read everything and see what changed. And yeah. it can be a, it can be a bit of a slog, to, but it can also save you a lot of headache if you can cause you headaches. So yeah, now. Absolutely. You can get into a rabbit hole of, of amendments to, um, you know, we just have legislative session uh, coming to an end here. And yeah, it's 
you go back through and try to read all the red lines, it can be pretty pretty confusing. And some statutes even only apply, they have a version that applies for a certain date and then after the date that the new amendment comes into effect. So, I mean, again, that's a lot of my job is figuring out, figuring out uh, what the law is, trying to interpret it to the you know best that we can. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of black and white in the law. Uh, or I should say where litigation usually happens is in the gray areas. Right. And this, um, we have, uh, stare decisis, is that how you pronounce it? So yeah, after, after legislation, after a statute is revised, it's published and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. And you're like, nope, there was just a court case and they've they determined that that part of it's illegal or cannot be enforced that way or whatever. So you really just basically have things that impact you and it can be a, it can be a full-time job. And if you're trying to start a company, that's not the full-time job you want to have. Uh, so what could go wrong though? That's, uh, coming to the end of our time and our, my list of things to talk about. So what could go wrong though? I've, I've read nothing. I understand nothing. I've believed all my friends. I've written (laughs) nothing down and we're in business and, uh, Ted steals my lemonade recipe and he's out and he's formed a new company with Bill and they're having a movie or something. So in your Bob and Ted, my first thought was, yeah. oh, Bill and Ted. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so know the, I went with Bob and Ted, but you know, I guess <laughs> I, I, I don't want to do any intellectual property <laughs> issues. So I won't, we're going to go with Bob but, and Ted. Okay. Fair. fair <laughs> mild, so, mild lemonade adventure, I guess. I don't know. There you go. The Vegas edition. Um, yeah. Bill couldn't, Bill, Bill lost all his money. So, so there's, there's a myriad of fees and fines. If you don't file things there are obviously the IRS, the IRS could lead to like, is there anything you could do wrong with your filings that would lead to criminal issues, prosecution or otherwise charges in Nevada, like state secretary of state interactions? Could I do something so egregious that I get hauled off to jail? Uh, it's pretty unlikely from, you know, like a, the worst thing on a, like secretary of state, for example, if you're not doing your annual filings, I mean, they'll at some point, um, make you, they'll, you'll, they'll revoke your, I think sure. at first they just put it like on like probation or whatever, and you have to pay all your back fees in order to get it reinstated. Um, interestingly enough, a company cannot sue if it's not um, in active status. And so I ah. guess to your point on if, if Bob and Ted go and Bob's like, I'm out, I'm taking the lemonade recipe, and then you want to sue on your behalf of your company, then you've got to reinstate it and make sure that's in place so um that's just kind of a side note but 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 as far as criminal no i mean like it's you also have to look at like the enforcement look there are people that do um civil code enforcement so that you know before you get like the criminal stuff is there's so few resources they're going to focus on much more egregious stuff so um the main thing you'd be concerned about is code enforcement um and that comes at the county or city level um and that's really more about if you're improperly operating business or doing something that's against the the code then you could get a fine or citation eventually they could like shut down your operation so uh but to get to that point it's kind of a long road so you you get lots of chances to make things right uh before you're in that position but i would i would just say yeah i mean anytime you have a question you've got to either look at the code or you got to hire somebody that understands and what what it says and and depends on your situation 
So crim- anything criminal, and and I'm I'm not asking for a friend or anything, but the, the criminal stuff is <laughs> that'd be like the worst case. Um, probably if you're committing fraud or if you've cheated the IRS out of their due or anything, we don't have. Yeah, we don't have you're, the same you're committing tax. tax evasion. Yeah, like yeah, IRS has a whole range of powers at their disposal. Sure. But but for the most part, if you get it wrong, if you haven't taken the time to speak with an attorney or maybe consult with uh, the legal Zooms and other similar services, cross your fingers and hope for the best. Probably will just cost you money and maybe friends. Yeah. But yeah. so so you're not so it's it's not a life or death thing. Which I'm not diminishing the value of of doing research and understanding, but it will just be I. Uh, it's another word for tuition. You just you get to learn life experiences. Yeah, that's no, true. You tend to either pay somebody, an attorney, to help you through it who's learned the law and learned from past litigation and the unfortunate situation of other clients or you pay (laughs) pay for mistakes made there's usually always a cost and whether it's an opportunity cost of something because your time was taken doing something else or the cost of paying somebody that you know an attorney that knows the law you're going to be paying so it's you know you're constantly doing that cost benefit analysis as an entrepreneur. And I can't tell, you know, someone what the right answer is for them without, uh, you know, I can give, I give advice. I give, these are the risks. These are the, you know, like I said, there's not a lot of black and white. Um, there is, like you said, if you're committing fraud. Yeah. That's pretty clear cut. But, um, if you are, I can't tell somebody what the best situations for them in every single situation I can give. My, my job is to advise, look, here's the pros, cons, and this is what I recommend, but ultimately the client has to decision. And, and uh, one right answer for one person might not be the right answer for another person. And that's the, the complexity of running a business. And But but the, the hallmark is getting informed, getting information, so you can make that the most informed decision or, uh, possible is really the, sure. I'll put you on the spot here a tiny bit. <clears throat> Suppose mm-hmm. you give advice. You, I'm, I'm, I've retained you as an attorney during my startup process. You've given me advice on some things. We've weighed the options. I've taken your advice. And then it turns out, I'm not going to say it was bad advice, but it doesn't go according to the the best laid plans. Do I come back and yell at you? Do you, Is there a warranty? How do, how do legal advice situations <laughs> work? Do I keep the we receipt keep just in case? Secret, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the... the <laughs> I mean, the worst case scenario is, um, you know, there. Well, and there's a difference. There's, again, there's weighing out the the risks benefits. Um, ultimately, comes down to the client's decision. Now, we can't guarantee anything. Um, we can tell you what the state of the law is, um, but there is. I mean, ultimately, there is. Um, if something was done that's considered malpractice, there's every attorney is supposed to have malpractice insurance so just like if you go to sure. the doctor and he cuts off <laughs> cuts off your arm and you were going in for a colonoscopy yeah like you're you're gonna have recourse there so um as with anything there's liability and there's insurance and that comes into play um but it's those are more in the most egregious of circumstances if it's advice and recommendation i mean yeah it's it's i mean Look, I try to be uh, reasonable with my clients. I like to, I try to be reasonable with the amount, you know, amounts I'm billing. And I think my firm, our rates for the service we provide and the size of the firm we are are very reasonable. Um, but uh, I try to be reasonable. If somebody has a, you know, 
question or they're just starting out and want to, you know, I'll, I'll talk to anybody for 10 to 15 minutes and just kind of listen to their situation, try to point them in the right direction, or I can do a more detailed consult. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, I guess, no real great answer in that there's no guarantees in in the law, just like in business. Um, there's certainly things that if you do could lead to negative consequences or fines or fees. But when you're talking about structure and strategy, uh, that's there's a lot of uh, gray areas and it's more of a judgment call. And all I can do as a lawyer is give you the best um, information and advice that I have based on what the law says and um, my past experience with clients. And as a business owner, you've got to make that decision on how you're going to move forward. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like any, you know, medical advice, it's still up to the patient, uh, legal advice, a client, I guess, you know, if you, if you ask a server at a restaurant, which is better, the, the menu item A or B and you go with B, ah, it's your fault. I went, you know, that's not how it works. So that's, that is understandable. I think it's important to know though, you can either wing it or you can actually ask the, you know, should I go with A or B on the menu here? And they'll be like, I tasted both and I would go with A, right? At least there's right. some specific experience. So, uh, yeah, if you just ask your friends and they, you, and, and actually this is a subtle thing and it's, it, um, with the, in the age of AI, we will start to see how this impacts much more substantially. But you know, if, if the AI that you're using was trained on bad advice, it will give you bad advice. <laughs> right. So, but people don't think, oh, the internet said this, well, the internet is full of bad advice, but it's also full of good advice. But if you are trained specifically on bad advice, you'll get bad advice. So if you only ask your friends and they have no idea what they're talking about, they're going to give you bad advice. And I'm, I'm not saying don't talk to your friends, but you have to consider the source. And this is something people don't do when they go online and they chat GTP it, GPT it. So yeah, I think I think going in knowing, being informed is, is probably the key just in general, whether you read everything. And the, the Secretary of, of State site, actually the, the Nevada Revised Statutes are probably a good reference when you want to really happen. The Silver Flume site is good to a point. I'll give it a solid C. My city <laughs> website for Las Vegas is okay. Uh, you can go to City Hall. The people at City Hall are very nice. So if you're if you're starting a company and you want to go talk to people, they're sometimes available and, and helpful. Or you can talk to people like Hayden. They know it and give you some good advice, which is not really a plug, although I do thank you for your time. But, um, but yeah, the value of talking to people who know how things work is substantial and will likely save future... Um, Costs, expenses, pains. Yeah. Uh, so you go to Tech Alley, and uh, I know we're now we're we're basically out of time. So if you got to bail, that's fine. But at, I'm just curious at Tech Alley because I've only talked to you at lunchtime and so on when I go there as well. So do you actually engage in in any? I was almost going to say helpful conversations. Surely they're all helpful. <laughs> but do you are you are you sitting down with people and actually listening to anything and giving advice, or is it purely like this is a casual day? I can help you out. Like, how do you, how do you, um, cause here, okay. The, the general thing is if you ask an attorney something, or if you ask a doctor something like, oh, my neck hurts. And they're like, oh, you should put some ice on it. Is that your medical opinion? Like, uh, no, it's just something that <laughs> right. people do. So yeah. to, like, how do you draw that line? If you're in a setting mm -hmm. like tech alley or other gatherings like that, are you always an attorney or are you sometimes just somebody who knows a lot of stuff? If that makes sense. Well, no, that's, I mean, that's a great point. And, and that's why, you know, <clears throat> we try to be clear you know something like this even i'm not providing legal advice um in general on this podcast but uh, some people don't understand that and so we try to be clear um and and that's why for every client i have when i'm giving legal advice they um 
we make it clear and we have them sign a, an, an engagement agreement with us. And um, I, you know, if I'm at Tech Alley, I, there, I mean, I'll listen to people's issues. I'll think about it and I'll say, you know, like, let's plan a time to actually sit down and talk and, and uh, where, because I'm not comfortable giving, really giving legal advice until I know the facts that I need. And that often requires me to have a two-way conversation with them, ask questions and find out because the, the context matters. The facts, you know, we always say you got to apply the facts to the law. And uh, so, yeah, I try to make that as clear as possible, but, you know, and when I'm being retained as an attorney, they sign an agreement and it's more of an official thing. So I try to be clear up front, but, uh, you know, it's only so much you can do. Uh, if I talk to you at Tech Alley around town for 15 minutes, you know, I'm not um, trying to become your lawyer unless you want me to. And we actually have like a real conversation where I can do an intake. And, and there's a whole set of ethical rules that I have to follow as well. You know, depending on if you're considering engaging me, um, I take that seriously. And, um, so I, I don't know if that's a great answer to your question, but uh, we try to make it no, clear, it is. As, as, uh, clear by, uh, by what's, you know, what I say <laughs> and and ultimately signing uh, an engagement agreement. Yeah, there's, well, just um, the examples I gave just now, the doctor, the lawyer, and the yeah. waiter all walk into a bar and they're, uh, no, so uh, a server at a restaurant or... The, if you ask about A or B and the server says, I would go with A, and then you later are like in an anaphylactic shock in the emergency room, like, oh, he didn't say that there was a onion or, or a peanut, you know, pick your favorite allergen. Well, right. you didn't ask. You didn't say anything. So you, you were only asking me A or B, not by the way I have these food allergies. Similarly, I could ask you all kinds of questions, and then you find out after the fact that, oh, that person that you're talking about is a client of ours and that's a conflict. So I can't give you, so there's, right. and the medical stuff, obviously you didn't tell me you were allergic to peanuts. Same, same problem. Uh, so yeah, I think, well, that's a, um, no, that's a good point. And something I didn't mention, sorry, just to jump in is for everyone that's thinking, even if I'm doing just a brief consult, we run a conflict of interest check through sure. our whole system database of names. And so that's something that, uh, even if people reach out online or something before I engage with anybody directly, my assistant will run their names through and we have that clear. So yeah, there's a, definitely a process we go through. Um, so that's what I say when I'm, when I'm talking to someone, I'm, I'm serious and I know that, you know, I'm trying to help them and we're serious about entering into a attorney client relationship. Um, that's not necessarily the case. You know, I <laughs> friends and family members that ask me about legal stuff all the time and, it's uh, you know, I'm happy to to chat and give some thoughts, but I'm not necessarily giving legal advice uh, unless we're contemplating yeah. that attorney-client relationship. Yeah, my sister is also an attorney in Arizona, so she usually will say, "I am not an attorney in Nevada. I don't know the laws in Nevada. I cannot possibly." Same when I was living in California, which is understandable. And that's the thing that I think people, the the lay person, the casual uh, you know, person with questions, doesn't necessarily consider. The, the, one of the reasons that you want to talk to me or a doctor is that they do have all this process in place. Their expertise is gated by some rules and questions that they know to ask and whatnot. So your friends don't know to ask you if you uh, 
oh, are you, uh, are you going to be engaging in a cannabis business? Then you cannot form a business league for cannabis owners. The IRS doesn't allow that. Cause, you know, so if you don't ask those questions, you're like, oh, yeah, we're forming a business league for cannabis dispensaries. Did you check on the laws for that? No. My friend said it was cool. Right. So, so you <laughs> right. know the questions to ask. If I never said I was starting a cannabis, like the thing at the Startup Resource Center, I know that we cannot work with cannabis companies, cannabis startups as a 51C6. But mm -hmm. you, actually, you actually have to go looking for that information. They don't put it at the top of the document that says, by the way, you know. So I only right. know that because I, I did the research a couple of years ago. I assume the laws haven't changed. So that's another thing I would have to check on to see what's current. But yeah, that's these are just all reasons to do your do your due diligence. I've I've used the term do your D, do the DD, and nobody uses that term anymore. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> I've not. No. Oh, Silicon Valley. We're doing yeah. we're going through DD. We're doing the DD. Got to do your DD, and nobody uses that term anymore. But due diligence, you just have to. You are ultimately you're the Hayden's not going to write his name on your articles of incorporation on your. 1023 or 1024 filing or on your other, it's your name and your partner's names. That's what matters. So hopefully, uh, yeah, when we, the startup resource center is coming together, it's been something I've been talking about for years. So that must be the time. So hopefully some of the stuff we've talked about today will, will be directions that we can point people, absolutely people to talk yeah. to and, uh, and yeah, resource startup resource center, not startup answer center. <laughs> so, right. Right. So great. Uh, anything? Have I left anything out? Uh, uh, there's that mysterious third step and then profit, I guess. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, you just, uh, you know, and, and that's the, your point. Things change. The business strategy might change. The law might change. But uh, so it's just keeping yourself current and updating your business plan and, uh, uh, yeah, making sure you're utilizing those resources along the way and uh, I mean, it can be a daunting task to start a business. I mean, I certainly, like I said, I respect entrepreneurs and I've seen some really successful people and um, it looks very rewarding. It's just a matter of getting the right information and the support along the way. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more about the Resource Center and going to be involved. So. Hopefully everybody in uh, Southern Nevada is. Uh, no, yeah. we'll, we'll be mentioning it. Uh, I'm sure we'll mention it at Tech Alley again. We, <clears throat> we formed a 501c3 nonprofit to sort of steer a couple of projects. The Startup Resource Center will be a 5 profit, so we can possibly advocate for startups when regulations. Business license discounts, for example, for uh, underrepresented and, and uh, veterans and so on. They sh there's been talk of it, and nobody's getting up in city council and saying anything. So that's the sort of thing we could do on top of everything else. Because a C6 can lobby and then engage in political activity, whereas a normal 501c3 absolutely cannot. Mm -hmm. How'd I do? Awesome. How'd I do? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so we have, we have big plans, and hopefully we'll, people will, uh, will be learning more good stuff. But, yeah, I appreciate all of your time today, and, uh, yeah, I hope um, I hope you are interested in what we're doing and that we will talk about it. So I think absolutely. we can leave it there. Plus, we've, we've gone 12 minutes over our allotted time. Hopefully, we aren't uh, charging in six-minute intervals. This is uh, point two. <laughs> um yeah, I know. I know how that works. Standard billing. Oh, yeah. Engineers should self-employed people. You should do that too. Don't bill for time. Bill for standard billing. And on that note, I will thank you, Hayden uh, Smith Esquire. Still, oh, you got to add that if you're, especially because we made our <laughs> bill in Ted. Es uh, uh, Ted Es tell Ted whatever his name Esquire. But totally messed that up. But uh, thank you for your time and useful information. And your journey begins here. It does not end here. So everything you've heard today should be the beginning of your reading and research and professionals and act. That's how you'll succeed by knowing. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Hayden. Thanks. Appreciate it.